And I would even go uh, one step back and would question if your company really needs OKRs. So that's the first step. I would say over 50% of the companies um, I worked with and who introduced OKRs while I was working with them didn't need OKRs. You're, you're bored. And that's why you said, I, I always want to try OKRs. And so now I'm ordering all of my people to use OKRs for whatever. They will find it out. People will start hating it because it doesn't make sense. This means they have their everyday job. And then on the side, they have to create some 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 artificial objectives and work on the side. And then it's like, oh, yeah, okay, please, manager, please tell me. Do, do I now have to split my work, like 50% of my time working on these OKRs and 50% of my time to work on the real important stuff? That's not what it's all about. It's, we are not doing OKRs for OKR sakes. It is a powerful tool if it's used for the right problem. Then, three, two, one, let's go. Welcome to the Innovation Engineer Podcast, your favorite place for picking brains of your favorite engineers. So grab your nerdiest mugs, fill it with a beverage of choice, and enjoy. My name is Tarek. And my name is Vashi. And today I brought to you my, uh, I would say, my nerdiest mug, actually. It's a Stormtrooper mug. Uh, I also got as a present uh, from my colleagues because I was sick and they created a great package for me with a lot of nerdy stuff. And uh, in there was this mug. And I really love it. It's really great. Yeah, and in this regards, you outperform me because I have my Deutscher Bundestag mug, <laughs> which I got at some point of time at uh, like a day, Tag der offenen Tür, Day of Open Door. What is this in English? Uh, <laughs> it is kind of nerdy. It is, it yeah. is, because it has, it's not like a normal mug. So it's kind of right. nerdy because I don't know. <laughs> so I was actually in the uh, German Reichstag for the general election because in 2013 I was programming uh, voting software like uh, which counted the uh, votes actually and I was yeah. in a suit in 2013 uh, in the general election like 24 hours next to the service in the German Reichstag uh, and maintaining our service systems. Sounds risky. <laughs> yeah, it was fun because you, there's all this uh, high security stuff and uh, you need they need to uh, check your background that you can enter because it's a general ah, yeah. election, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, and my beverage of choice today is water because we have already like 30 degrees indoors. So I don't know when you're listening to or watching this podcast, but we are now in the peak time of summer and uh, summer in Germany is uh, hot. <laughs> yes, it, it becomes hotter and hotter and I'm in the dark room. So I have so much light on. I have one, two, three, five lamps and uh, one even has an active fan in there because it's like a studio lamp just to get this room bright enough even if it's like yes. 30 degrees outside and it's so hot and i have like a macbook m1 normally the fan never goes off or like on actually the, the fan is never on but right now it's like going like crazy because it's so hot in here yeah it's getting hot in here um, let's talk about objectives and key results, OKR, and the reason. Usually, I do not really enjoy talking about processes or management tools. I Usually, I, I kind of find this boring, but OKR really triggers me because I have the feeling everybody hates OKR and out of the wrong reasons. I think OKR is a deeply misunderstood tool and it is very important for everyone who is not 
uh, knowing OKR yet to learn this from the right source and uh, understand what it's all about. And everybody who hates OKR, please listen to us when we discuss about what OKR is, why OKR can be valuable, and of course the other direction, how you can mess up OKR so that everybody hates it. Yeah. Uh, Vashi, what, what's your point on OKR? Do you hate it or do you, do you love it? Both. Totally both. Right now. <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship. So it's a really hot topic. And I would say like four years ago, 2018 around, like nearly every company started to introduce it and it was like a trend. So uh, it's like a must-have. So there was like one point in time where each company needed to introduce, introduce Scrum because it was yeah. a hot stuff. And now it's like OKRs. So if you're not doing OKRs, you're missing out on the hype wave. But that's it, right? It's a hype wave. So it's not for everybody. And um, I think nearly everybody loves OKRs. At first, it's my experience. So everybody is like super hyped for oh, OKRs. It will um, like solve all our problems. We will create a, a vision, mission and everything. It will be so cool. And then like after two, three cycles, it's nearly forgotten. That, yeah, we still do OKRs, but not really, right? And people start <laughs> to not like it. I would say some people even start to hate it, like especially some engineers. I've I've seen it in engineers starting to hate OKRs. Yeah, yeah. If we take a look back where OKRs are actually coming from, um, I was surprised to see that this framework or this methodology is actually uh, way older than than people think. Um, usually you see um, the reluctance of, ah, yeah, this is this Google tool and uh, now only because Google is doing it, everybody needs to do it and that's why it's a hype. But it's actually something that uh, dates back to, I read 1954, um, where Peter Drucker invented um, management by objectives. So it's, it's actually, the, this framework is way older and um, this already brings us into this direction what it's all about. It's, it's um, steering your company or your teams through objectives. And uh, in 1968, there was uh, the CEO at Intel, uh, Andrew Grove, um, and he took this framework and developed it further. Um, and basically created this OKR framework that we know today, so even from the 60s. Um, and only then uh, in 1974, there was John Durr uh, from Intel, or back then he joined Intel. Uh, he took over these OKRs and he was the one, uh, if I understood this correctly, who brought this then to Sergey Brin and Larry Page, who then used this to build up um, their management framework at Google. So the history of OKRs is way older, and maybe this creates some sympathy about um, what it's all about. It's not like an artificial thing that was created by Google, but actually a way of management thinking, steering your company to objectives from the 50s. Yeah. Going back to the background, in our last episode, mm. we talked about drive and motivation and yeah. motivation 3.0 and also management 3.0. And actually, Peter Drucker, it's like 70 years ago, he was one of the of the fathers, actually, of this way of thinking that you uh, don't work like in an old um, factory anymore where you just sit in an assembly line and do stuff. Now you are like a knowledge worker. And he created and uh, he was one of the first people thinking about new tools to use in this age of knowledge, actually. So what's motivating for knowledge workers? Which environment do they need? Um, how do they set, do you set goals, actually, for them? Because they are the experts. You are just a manager. You don't know the, the stuff, actually. So what should you do? And he found a lot of answers. He wrote so many books, so I can't recommend a single book from him because he wrote so much stuff, right? So, but uh, Peter Drucker is still quoted 
so much nowadays. And even the famous smart goals, they uh, come also from this kind of, of, of thinking. And objective and key results was a, an approach, actually, to not be a manager, a manager and say, okay, uh, you are doing this, you're doing this, not micromanaging, but like yeah. creating a mixture between top down and bottom up. So it's like not the everybody, uh, it's super democratic say what we do, but uh, it's a mixture where you need actually work from both sides to decide what will be done, right? That's, that's the, the nice thing about it. Um, it's not the manager who does all the work. It's, it's mixed. You need actually 50-50. Yeah, yeah. And what I really like about this, um, even though we did not really uh, explain yet why uh, or what, what OKRs is, but the beauty of this is, from my point of view, that you give everybody, every single person who's involved in your company or in your teams, the same understanding of what you try to achieve, why you try to achieve it, and what the strategy is on the way to achieve these goals. And this clarity and transparency is super motivating from, from my point of view, because from, from the top level executive to the intern, everyone knows what they are working towards and why the decisions are made that are made uh, to, to go these, these routes. You don't have these individual goals from each department and everybody works together and then people are praying that somehow everything fits together and we reach our, our annual goals or something like that. Yeah, And uh, th this kind of transparency is from me um, the biggest pro, the, the big biggest uh, plus for this framework. For me, the biggest plus is actually two things. First off, you can create alignment in self-organization or in, in self-organized companies. So because not obviously not every team should go in a different direction and have their own goals, but uh, it's about like the company reaching a common goal. And how do you set this common goal? How do you communicate it? And the other thing is measuring progress. So in a traditional way, progress is only measured by revenue, which kind of sucks, <laughs> right? Because that's like uh, a single number. Um, and I would say in, in lead startup uh, words, it's a, a facet metric. It's not like a real metric. It's just like a facade, right? Right. Yeah, uh, and, and exactly as we discussed um, in the last episode with Drive, of course, money is always super important and you need this, um, at least as this hygiene factor. Yeah, You can't do business or you can't live without money in our uh, today's society. So it will never be outside of your equation um, but money itself should not be the purpose of what you're doing it should not be the sole reason why you and your team and your company is, is working um, you can do this but then you will never create this high performing corporate culture that really strives towards an all-star a common goal yeah and and what we are talking about here is really trying to get the the most out of your company and your teams and create fun on the way there because uh, otherwise you can simply stand in front of like an assembly line and do things and get paid for this. Um, but this is not what we are doing. This is not the creative, uh, powerful work that we are doing. There, um, we are talking about knowledge work here, right? Yes. So um, I forgot the name of, the, of the, um, this effect, uh, which states um, that knowledge work always fills the, the time you actually give it, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> so uh, I need to Google it. I will add it later to the video. Um, 
the point is that in, in this kind of, of work we do as engineers, if you just double the number of engineers, you are wasting efficiency. And yes. there's like this question, how do I get more work done in my company? And the answer is, um, if you have too much money, you can hire more engineers, you will not get done more. And I see a lot of companies just doing this, like, yeah. like throwing money at the problem. Um, but if you are if you are clever, you actually know that what you need to do to create more efficiency, to get more outcome and even output. Output is like you can get more output if you hire more engineers, but it's not yeah. wasted because it does not bring you near to your goal. And what you can do is like introduce methods like OKR to actually increase the alignment. And those actually, if you take different vectors, they all go in different directions. Obviously, the point you reach is not the farthest you could reach if all right. vectors, which are the teams, go in the same direction. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I think we already motivated this topic of OKRs. Um, but maybe let's step get one step back for everyone who's not familiar with OKRs or did not work with OKRs. Maybe we should um, quickly reintroduce what it's actually all about and from an operative uh, point of view, what a company is doing when they are working with OKRs. W would you like to uh, sum up how OKRs work? Well, I can go first and then you can correct me and the things I missed out or said wrongly. Okay. So... As the name suggests, it's objective and key results. So the objectives are given by the management and the key results are like agreed on or like uh, suggested normally by the individual contributors and agreed on by the management. And what you actually one step back need, first of all, is management starts with a vision, right? A vision statement. We talked about it also in the last episode about some tricks and hints how to formulate a great vision. But that's what you start with. And then you create like a smaller step, right? For example, the uh, the vision of SpaceX is going to Mars. Obviously, this can't be your current mission because it's like 15 years ahead uh, or like in the future. So you need a, a mission. A mission is more like a short-term goal. So a uh, mission could be maybe you are building a rocket which can land and it's not wasted. So, uh, and then you create a strategy. A strategy is like for one year, uh, I would always suggest one year. I've seen companies doing half year, but I would suggest a strategy for one year. How can we come closer to uh, building like, for example, for SpaceX, a rocket which can land again? And um, then you have objectives and these objectives directly um, are um, derived from your strategy. Like strategy is done by top level management. They think about, For example, if you're an IT company, you're selling a software as a service product, you could say, okay, we need, for example, strategies, verticalization, because we believe that if we split our product or like personalize it for, let's say, restaurants or like for, um, for cafes or for like a barbershop, right, then we can uh, create more revenue. That could be then um, a single objective in this direction. And normally you say you have... Um, two to four objectives. Uh, so I often see three objectives, you know, because this is like uh, the magic number three. There's even the rule of three in, in different things. Uh, Google it up. It's really interesting to read the Wikipedia article about the rule of three. And that's the objectives. Um, and then depending on the size of the company, you break it down. Or like if you are like a mid-size company, I would say up to 100 people, 120 people maybe, uh, that one level is uh, enough. But obviously if you're a bigger company, you're actually should think about multiple companies and you have sub-objectives by different departments, kind of. And the next step would come up with key results. And those key results need to follow specific rules. The first rule is they need to be uh, measurable. 
So uh, thing like reaching just A or B is not really measurable. That's yes or no, that's binary. So take something with a number and you can find different things with numbers. Um, there's a lot of like literature about like finding those key results. And um, then set a goal, a goal which you believe can be done in three months because you measure each cycle in three months. You do like um, like a start meeting where you uh, like uh, agree on everything, take all these numbers, uh, and afterwards you do a retrospective actually about this quarter. And your goal is actually not to reach 100% of a single key result, but um, 70%, because the, the goal is this should be a moonshot. Each key result you define needs a number and like a target number. For example, we want to improve um, or like we we want to reduce churn by 10%. Our current churn rate is, I don't know, 8%. Uh, if we reduce it by 10%, we have, I don't know, 7.2%. Uh, um, uh, that's our goal, actually. That should be a moonshot. So uh, if you really think you can do this, then maybe increase it a little bit, right? This would be uh, your key result. For example, if you are like in, in, in a team working on, on your checkout or an onboarding journey, whatever, uh, this would be actually a good key result. And if you reach 70%, that's great. And obviously, you should do every one or two weeks, you should do a, a check-in. Check, did we reach it? Are we on course? And if we're not on course, what can we do? And what you have in the end, the key results should come from the team and management needs to accept it. So it's like a kind of negotiation. So sometimes uh, or often you need like a coach saying, okay, maybe we could improve this. Or management says, okay, this we don't believe in this. Um, and then you agree on it. Normally you have like, let's say, two to four objectives with two to five key results. Um, so you end with, um, normally you should not have too much because obviously in three months there's limited time you can do with your team. You have like up to, let's say, 10 key results. Um, less is more in this general uh, regard. And then you start, you start working. And now we have the magic actually. Um, if you work like, for example, by Scrum, you write your stories. Those key results, that's your business value. Easier it is. Normally, business value, we could do a, a dedicated um, episode just about talking about what is business value because it's so hard of a question. But if you do OKRs, you should always take your key results as business value. Or what's the value in doing the story? Well, we are trying to reach our goal and it's paying into this key result. And mm. it's also about prioritization. If it's not paying into any of your key results, why are you doing it? Obviously, don't be dogmatic. You can't cover, um, depending on your company, 100% of your like work with all key results. There will be other things. Uh, but in general, this is the business value. You can take a story into, like say, your Scrum Sprint with less business value if you can really convince everybody, okay, this is not paying into a key result, but for operational reasons, we really need to do it. Or this is like a high-paying customer, we need to do it uh, whatsoever. But in general, this should be used as prioritization base, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the whole framework. Yeah, and you already gave a, a lot of details. Um, oftentimes, whenever I try to explain this framework, pe people leave this conversation very quickly because they say, oh, it's so complicated, so complicated. And I like to dumb it down a little bit. And I, I like to uh, create a, a very simple visualization. And usually if you um, draw the the whole way from the vision um, down to the actual action plan. You see something like this 
this pyramid form and on the very top you have this north star this this thing that your company is actually trying to achieve this common goal this vision if if you like yeah for example uh creating a human space like human colonization on foreign planets yeah it's a very very amazing high goal and out of there you have these as you just said this handful of objectives these qualitative goals where you say those are the things that we need to work on to get closer to our shared goal um, and those are these objectives qualitative in terms of this is not what we factually reach within this within this quarter but those are the topics this qualitative topics like being the top place to work in germany right uh, if, if we want to beat this um, this is where we are going through and then we have in the next stage of the pyramid these key results as you said and those are the things that we can actually measure where we see, okay, in order to reach this, we have to, uh, I don't know, get uh, this, uh, uh, like, I don't know, create this uh, Q&A document with uh, so many uh, requests uh, from, from the web where we see, okay, this is really valuable and people are going to this website and clicking wildly on this because it is so valuable to create this compendium of valuable information. And there we have um, a measurable goal. And this one, needs of course be connected to the objectives right because otherwise we wouldn't be doing those and on the very low level we have this action plan these so-called initiatives where we sit together with a team and brainstorm what do we actually have to do to reach these numbers that we created in the key results and so we have this pyramid everything is connected together but every single part that we do in this pyramid is connected to this overall goal yeah and and so in this direction i think the framework is fairly easy yeah without talking about all these nitty gritty details uh, in there but this the structure is very straightforward and the beauty is that everyone who knows this pyramid and sees what we are uh, working on sees that it is interconnected and everyone is invited to challenge what we are doing because it is transparent and this means If, let's say, your product manager says, we need to build this very particular story and this thing because, yeah, it makes money and at the end of the day, we want to have money, right? You can challenge and say, yeah, of course, we want to make money. But is this in any way aligned to our overall goal, right? And if it's not, then we have to talk about if there are maybe other things that are higher prioritized because we have this common goal, right? And so this way, I don't say challenge everything and spend all your day discussing about prioritization. But if there are things which are obviously not connected to this overall goal that we are working towards, then we have a problem and then this needs to be clarified. Um, and that's why I think this, this pyramid of transparency <laughs> is so valuable because everybody knows why we are doing these things. Yeah? And even, even if you're saying, I'm not happy with the strategy, I do not think that this, this strategy will lead us to there, we still have a consensus of it is a, a strategy that might bring us there, but we generate the numbers to prove if it works or not. And if it's not working... Great, we learned something, we throw it away and we create another strategy to go this way. Yeah, and that, that's why I really like it. Yeah, yeah and you just mentioned uh, the first point, actually, why people, especially engineers, start to hate OKRs. 
Because that what you just described is an ideal case that often does not happen. So yep. what I've seen in uh, many companies I worked for is like, yes, we did OKRs, we created objective, we created key results. They were good, right? So even with great objectives, great key results, a great vision. But then I see a lot of Scrum teams just doing whatever. And I'm like, okay, why are you doing this? Yeah, because management said and whatever reason the product owner or the product manager comes up with. And it's like, okay. Um, you have this great tool, but you're not using it. Why align on key results, which you don't try to achieve? Because you are just taking random stories in there. Because, yeah, because it's there is a pressure, a business pressure to, to do this. Yes, but you should prioritize and you cannot do everything. And obviously, this is not part of the key results. So, and I've, that's when engineers become frustrated. And in the next cycle, after three months, they say, okay, they don't want to put any more effort into key results because... Why should we be? We didn't try to achieve them because we just worked on other things, right? Yeah, right, right. And I actually have a very nice story that I like to tell um, because it is the story that made me fall in love with OKRs. Um, I worked on a company where um, it was quite chaotic. Um, we had very, very good goals. It was a small company uh, with, with several departments. We had uh, marketing, we had sales, we had engineering. Um, and everyone was 120% motivated and were, was um, on their own terms spending more time than actually necessary, like with, with 50-hour we work weeks and 60-hour work weeks, because everybody was really, really keen on getting this company going. Um, but despite all that work, we felt that we are not working efficiently. And that's why we said, okay, let's align our work and introduce OKRs, because this is this fam famous framework for aligning our work. And it was really, really painful, because we were sitting together with the marketing department and the data engineering department and the software engineering and everything. And we were actually trying to find this, this common goal, this, uh, this shared mission and these objectives which we can focus on to get one step further. And every department was bringing like their top 10 things on the table, which need to be done necessarily in the next quarter, right? And they were all very different from each other. And so with four departments and each one had these 10 different goals, we had, and this is what I'm always saying with transparency, suddenly we saw that we were working on so many things, so many important things at the same time with all the departments that we kind of worked against each other. Yeah? And everyone was giving 120%, but we as a team, we as a company, were not moving in the same direction. Yeah? It's these vectors in all, all different uh, directions. It's not because we are bad people. It was just because we were not aligned. And then we actually spent two days discussing what was really the most important thing to get one step uh, further and everybody hated it because they had to get rid of 80% of these things that they that everyone wanted to work on this quarter in favor of a shared set of objectives that we really need to work on and every single week it was painful because The product managers wanted to sneak in some features because they said, yeah, but I really, really like it. It's, it's so important. But we had to get rid of this to create these synergies that the data department that, that worked on the data sets was actually providing stuff that the engineers would need for these things that are then used for these marketing campaigns that are then used to uh, gather some new campaigns where, where the sales team was then particularly able to sell these things. And suddenly... Even though we hated it, 
because we had to get rid of so much stuff, but suddenly we had the synergy that all departments worked together. And even though we, we only worked on what this one thing, but we actually were able to go forward. And this is like my favorite story for how painful it is, but it helped us to get things into the, the right direction. And suddenly it felt so good to know that these 120% of work that I was investing actually paid off because together with all the other people we were working towards the same goals yeah and that's why i'm thinking it is painful and everybody hated this at this time but it was so important to not waste your energy and waste your time uh, in working inefficiently and this is why it's my, my favorite story of how okr actually helps you structure and understanding what you're doing And that, again, is also why a lot of engineers hate OKRs, because they think, uh, just let me, give me more time to just work in peace on, on features. I get more stuff done. Uh, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm paid to, to program and create code. And that's like the unnatural thinking, actually, uh, uh, engineers cannot cope with that. Being in a meeting and doing two days just discussing what we should do as a company actually um, is better for the overall goal and helps the company more than uh, like five engineers doing two weeks of software engineering, right? And this is like a fact you need to accept as an engineer, especially especially as someone in tech, that you are that the, the, the value comes not from you as a single contributor, but software engineering is a team sport. It's about working together with others. That's yeah. why you have like 10 other people and two engineers. And you ask uh, yourself, but we're building a software product. Why only, do we only have two engineers? And if you scale, if the company becomes bigger, communication is the biggest complexity driver. So don't think about technical debt. Technical debt is a myth. It does not exist, in my opinion. Um, There's only like business value and reaching business goals and bringing the company forward. And you don't do it by being the best engineer, but by being the one who can play the best with everyone else and especially the other departments. Yeah, yeah. And, and you just mentioned like another misconception of uh, of Scrum. And we, we I have the feeling in every single podcast episode, we have these Scrum uh, 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 things that we mentioned. But it's, it's the same thing. Uh, the software developer who says, just give me the backlog and I can go through it and implement everything and then it's done. Uh, come back when I'm done. But that's not how a backlog works, right? The backlog is living and this is a product development. So um adjusting it and redefining it and rebuilding this this backlog is exactly the essence of working agile and this is what okrs are also about we, you can't just say okay we have this one goal and then we will meet in again in five years when we, when we reach it it's like this living thing and while you're working on it you are learning and you are refining it and you are reflecting on this and together you readjust your strategy and uh, the path that you are going and so there are so many Uh, similarities between agile, working agile and working with OKRs because it's all this way of thinking in your product. You are building a product. You are not working through a backlog or you are not uh, uh, working through this uh, Pflichtenheft, as we say. What's what's it in English? Um, this this uh, list of tasks that that need to be done. But it's this living thing. Yeah. And as a software developer, you, I I don't think that this this term of software developer is still something that exists in this way today. Today we have product developers and the real efficient people with software engineering skills, they work in these product teams and they are part of this product development life cycle. Yeah? So for years I, I didn't see this classical 
software developer person sitting on his desk simply working from task to task and just say, give me a task and I implement this and you have the specification and stuff. I haven't seen this for, for such a long time. I don't, I, I'm not sure if this still exists. It does, especially in bigger companies. So I've seen okay. those and especially more in, uh, in the American companies I saw, not in the startups, really? but also in bigger American companies. Yeah, because okay. like... Um, Uh, this like being responsible for single part and this structuring in backend and frontend teams is way more common in other American companies because yeah. uh, it's it's valued in, in American companies. We have a dedicated episode about this. Uh, check it out. What's it like working in an American company? We also <laughs> said it. Um, it's really important in the American culture to really know what you're working on. So titles and responsibilities are way harder in there. So they still have front and back end teams, mm. but you don't see, and I haven't seen it in a German company for years right now. And yeah. I also agree what you said before. So in all the companies I worked in the past years, the most valued engineers are not the best technical guys who can like write their own caching system in C or C++. The most valued engineers and most uh, respected engineers are the ones who know the most about the product, right? So those are always asked from other departments uh, how something is working because they know the bigger picture and understand it. And that's why I also believe in domain-driven design. It's like a learning journey, um, learning the domain and learning how a product works. So for example, at my current uh, company, I do a lot of like product introduction, like um, onboardings. So the first onboarding stuff I do with all new engineers is not showing them the code, not what tools we use, but showing them the product. So this is our mm. product. That's our like other brands we have. That's how they work. Those are the features because I believe it's the first thing you need to understand anything. Mm. Right. Yes, definitely. Yeah, but um, we should come back to OKRs, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. There's, there's one thing um, that I also want to give to our, our listeners um, as a brain teaser, as something that is, is uh, really representing OKRs. And this is the so-called five superpowers of OKRs, uh, the acronym FACTS, F-A-C-T-S. Um, and I think this sums up the quality of OKR quite well. F stands for focus. As we already said multiple times, everyone actually knows what we are working uh, towards. Focus. Then the A for alignment. Since we know where we are going, we can align with each other and create these synergies and effective structure of working together. F-A-C. C stands for commitment. Yeah, because we all know what we try to reach and we set these quarterly goals that, that we try to reach, we have this shared commitment and accountability where we say we really want to go there. And since we know that we are not wasting our energy, we actually can commit to reach these uh, common goals. Then we have FACT, tracking. Yeah, and this is where these key results are so valuable. We are actually tracking what we are achieving. Yeah, and we, we try to reach these goals and we can very quickly see if we are actually on the same track, uh, on, on the right track, because we are tracking our progress. And S, F-A-C-T-S, facts, it's stretching. Yeah? And Vashi, you said this uh, very, very nicely in the beginning, where you said, um, it's, it's not that we are trying to achieve these, uh, these 100%, but we are trying to make moonshots. We have these ambitious goals, because it's not about reaching these particular goals, but those are on the road to our overall objective. And so, of course, it's, it's not this 100% and then we go home, but we actually try to go this step further. And that's why we set these, these um, very ambitious goals, because what we are actually trying to reach is this overall 
the top of the pyramid, right? <laughs> and that's uh, why this acronym FACTS is so powerful, because it represents exactly why this framework is working that well if you're doing it right. Yeah, and I would even go uh, one step back and would question if your company really needs OKRs. So that's the first step. I would say over 50% of the companies um, I worked with and who introduced OKRs while I was working with them didn't need OKRs. So you only need them if you miss alignment. So um, there are also requirements you need to actually have to work by them. But if your problem is not that you can't measure your progress, if your problem is not that you're missing alignment, don't add an abstraction layer, don't add a new tool, don't add a method. Think about what else could we do to solve our, what is actually your problem, right? First ask yourself, what's your problem? If you say, my problem is um, I'm a good company, I have self-organized teams, they are split very efficiently, but we miss alignment, Go for OKRs. I love them. They will help you a lot if you are mature enough. But for example, if you're a company which is still led by your, your founder who has a very clear vision and it's very clear what you are doing and uh, he's also dictating in which direction you're going because founder-led companies, that's often the case, uh, don't do it because what you also need um, is, or first of all, you don't need it. And secondly, this will go in a very bad direction because those kind of people can't uh, let loose and they will manage into your objectives. They will overrule everything because they own the company. They are not just the CEO, they are the owner. They are founder-led companies. So um, having uh, self-organized teams is a requirement. So first of all, if you have a backend and front-end team, forget about OKRs. You can't do OKRs if you go by that direction. Even if you're a cross-functional engineering team where all engineers responsible for an area uh, in there, you can do OKRs. Best is if you have really like... Um, multifunctional squads where marketing are in the same team actually or uh, as like the engineers as are the others that's like your idle case if you're not aiming for this structure again okay may not be for you if you have like an app team if you have a front-end team back-end team don't even think about starting okay first thing you should do is think about the split of your teams if it's a problem for you because if you're growing this front-end back-end distinction will not work anymore so at a specific point in time, uh, like when you have like 20 engineers, you realize, okay, this the structure we have, this is not going to work for scaling our company. And then you can think about splitting and giving them new tools to align everything like OKRs. And yeah. the, the third pillar actually is data. So I have seen actually companies which have a great structure where everything is already split by the user flow and in theory, it's great. But then again, my example from before, they say, okay, we want to reuse churn. If you don't have the numbers, it will be really hard. So for example, one company uh, said, we, we want to reduce zombie accounts. But if it's hard to measure, if you don't have the data, then even your greatest key result will not help you because, okay, I actually don't know. We want to reduce churn. Um, uh, finance said it's a problem for us, but I have no clue how to measure churn because it's really hard. We, we don't have events where we can find it out. So that's a tip actually for everyone introducing it. Take very few key results in the beginning, like per team, three, four key results are enough. And maybe your first objective should not be to reduce churn, but to be a data-driven company, because that's actually your goal. Your goal may be not the first step to reduce churn, but be data-driven. And then the objective is be a data-driven company. And then key results could be that you measure different things or are able to have reports about this. That would be a good first step. So uh, a, lot, a reason why a lot of engineers uh, I met hate it is because they over 
stepped the goals like at the first at the first try. It was like reduce churn, reduces like 10 key results uh, which you can't concentrate on or like 10 things you can't measure actually because the team says, okay, um, the, our uh, goal was be a data-driven company and we said we want to do uh, five A-B tests but we have no tool to do A-B tests. We have never done it before with our team. So then we, they will be really demotivated because uh, they think, okay, we are missing actually the, the foundation to even do this. Yeah. And I think the most the the most common way of destroying OKR, the value of OKR, is to introduce it where you don't need it, right? So, so as you said in the beginning, uh, you you need to understand what problem you're trying to solve because OKR is a tool, and it is a, a great tool for a certain set of problem that you have. But if you simply always wanted to try a forklift. Yeah, and that's why you bought a forklift and make everyone train on the forklift, and then you need your your people need to use the forklift to drive in nails into wood because you always wanted to use a forklift. People will start hating the forklift, and this is exactly with with the OKR. If you're, you're bored, and that's why you said I, I always want to try OKRs, and so now I am ordering all of my people to use OKRs for whatever they will find it out. People will start hating it because it doesn't make sense. This means they have their everyday job, and then on the side they have to create some 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 artificial objectives and work on the side, and then it's like, oh yeah, okay, please manager, please tell me. Do, do I now have to split my work like 50% of my time working on these OKRs and 50% of my time to work on the real important stuff? That's not what it's all about. It's, we are not doing OKRs for OKRs sakes. It is a powerful tool if it's used for the right problem. There are two cases where this is uh, especially tricky. The first is if you work project-based, like in an agency. So obviously your different project teams don't need alignment. So uh, just because OKRs are a great tool, introducing them and then having uh, goals like, yeah, we want to be uh, a great employer. Uh, our objective is to be more known. Uh, let's write more blog articles and go to conferences. This is directly the opposite of what the actually task of the team is by like they, they work on a specific project for a customer and try to, to reach the goal of the customer. So um, there is also a lot of literature about introducing OKRs in agencies. It's possible, but it's way harder you should ask yourself uh, what's your goal so that would again need like a special episodes just talking about ag agencies uh, yeah. we did this too at uh, like in 2017 or 18 like when we worked together Tarek we introduced OKRs because we had no real vision and mission for our agency and uh, I would say the uh, outcome was uh, uh, catastrophic yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was like okay they were demotivated like writing more blog posts doing this stuff it was just extra work and they asked like yeah. okay but, but where can i book it because uh, we need to book our hours to projects and we need to like reach actually a, a money goal with our team because yeah. we had independent teams who could acquire their own projects who could say yes or no to tier to projects which itself was great so we had autonomous teams working on autonomous stuff but we didn't need any alignment actually in this case. Exactly, yeah. And that's. I think this is a very special case because it's not the, the agency that we were working for was not like a classical agency on the free market doing what other agencies are doing. And um, I, I directly see uh, this example of where even in agencies, OKRs can be value, very valuable. And those are these agencies they they uh, w which need to find which have an actual problem. And this might be becoming obsolete, right? Because maybe you're working in a specific industry or a technology field where you see that 
every moment now this this industry can change this technology can die and so we will all be out of a job if we are not able to adjust and so you might have as an agency the goal of redefining your niche and uh, keeping track on on your uh, customers and being able to pivot into a certain direction for, so that you are not becoming obsolete and so this progress for example can again through the agency be steered from from upper management down to the developers staying on top of certain technologies on certain trends and working together with with these customers for long-term project relationships and these things can modify your everyday behavior because then it's not only an arbitrary project that, that you're working on but every developer working every day together with a customer reducing maybe their workload down to 80% to do more networking in these companies because your company agency strategy is working on creating long-term relationships and suddenly you have things like objectives within this agency which are changing your everyday behavior so there might be different might be strategies or might be uh, events where your company your agency needs also OKRs or could use OKRs to work on the same things, right? Not, not necessarily, but there are these cases or where your USP is actually innovation, for example. Your USP is to create patents on the market because only if you are creating 100 patents per year as an agency, you stay relevant because this is the USP why these top companies are hiring you. And if you stop working on creating patents, people will stop hiring you and there again you have like this overall strategy which you can go through your teams and align so that you can reach these goals so if you have this particular goal with your team your company which you can which you have to reach then even in agencies it is applicable yeah but it, it completely depends on the way that your agency is working yeah the normal case it, it will not help your agency so <laughs> because most agencies work differently there are two agencies where they say uh, uh, they are great and they work in very specific ways like saltworks for example is the one and tarant the other one it's like a german one tarant um, and they have like uh, a lot of free time for the engineers to reach those goals but this is hard to achieve like the average agency Uh, should not introduce OKRs, in my opinion. And if you want to introduce them, uh, give me a call first. I will do free consultation for you to uh, <laughs> tell you about mistakes you should not do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of of course. I mean, if you say if if you take agency as the classic agency as body leasing, yeah, your agency has people has bodies, and you're renting them out to fulfill certain tasks. Yeah, this is a certain kind of job. But you might even argue. Um, that this is not this, how did you say it, like, like brain work, um, knowledge work, creative work. It's, it's more like um, a, a conveyor belt work. They get software packages, they build them, and then they go to the next uh, client, right? I don't so agree. It might, I, don't, I don't agree. It's possible this way, but we would need to do a special episode about to yeah. talk about our experiences working for agencies. Okay. Right? So this would, but let's stop with agencies right yes. here. And let me tell you about the second case where it could, go terribly wrong. I worked for a company, they introduced OKRs and they did it on a personal level. Like each engineer had their own key results. Not each engineer, <laughs> each employer actually, like because they introduced it like company-wide. Around yeah. 60 people, a company was around 60 to 70 people at the time. And I was arguing so much against it. I said, okay, this is a team sports. You want team goals. You don't want to measure a single person on, on reaching the goals because then they will not work on the stuff which is important for the team this is like a, a team game right 
I couldn't convince them. So they did it like for one quarter and uh, they said, yeah, but it's just an experiment. We're going to try it. And I was like, okay, first of all, you're wasting time. You're wasting work. You already know it better. So, and you can burn the topic so bad because this would be so demotivating because obviously they worked, everyone worked in a team and they're like product manager or team lead whatsoever dictated what they work on. They didn't get time to stuff. And they all had like, stuff to do and the key results they could never achieve because they missed the autonomy actually to uh, decide themselves what they work on because the team decides not a, a single individual person mm. yeah yeah and i mean again i could argue against this even individual okr if you for yourself using okr to manage yourself it's like using jira for managing your own personal task as a one-man team. You can do this. It, it might even help you understand what the, the difference between objectives and key results is. So you can do this, but of course you're missing the point, the, the big picture of using OKRs to align the teams. And especially if everyone is using OKR for themselves and they are conflicting with each other, then of course it, it's a very bad idea because you're using the tool again to, to work against each other. Yeah, But I don't think that necessarily it is an un impossible it, it, it's not impossible to use okr for self-management you could do this if this fits into this overall structure but it's it's not really the point this is not really why okrs are existing yeah, yeah you're not solving a problem here yeah oh, and a third case comes into my mind so there was this one swiss-based company from zurich which i don't want to name and uh, that was actually the first company where i really saw okrs in the wild i read a lot about it before. So I read books, I read articles because they were the shit for years, thanks to Google. <laughs> and I'm always leading, uh, reading the, the hottest books also. And this was the first engineering company that is SaaS product, software as a service product. And um, I first thought that was a great example of using OKRs. It was my first thought. It was in maybe 15, 16, 2016, 15. I'm not sure anymore. And Nowadays, I think totally different about the key results they had because they were very technical key results. So uh, I used them as an example for the next years, actually, for, for uh, as a good example. But nowadays, I would use them as a bad example. For example, one key result was um, per team to reduce technical debt. So the problem is you cannot really measure it. So this is like very artificial. Secondly, um, it does not pay into any business metric. So your business metric, obviously, there are... Um, problems in your architecture which prevents you from doing things which you should work on for example to scale your product but then your goal is scaling your product and not uh, for the sake of it work on technical uh, issues like at working on technical debt which i don't think exists because your product is working you're selling stuff so it can't be a debt because why um for i once uh, built like a paypal integration in 2014 And we never finished like the last phase. So there are, we always said, yeah, this is technical debt. But nowadays I would say, yeah, okay, maybe there were some features missing, but still we sold uh, like a million subscriptions with this uh, service. So obviously it worked, it was finished. So this was no debt because it was working. This is like one um, thing I can give anybody here who tries to define key results. Don't make them technical. Uh, or like too technical. Uh, always think about your business. Technical goals are not meant to be key results. Right, right. Unless they are directly connected to your key results because you are a vendor for software and your software needs to reach these these technical uh, thresholds or something like yes. that. Yeah, like But medical only, software, for example, yeah, or like for, for example, rocket yeah. science. Yeah, or or you actually provide a platform for other businesses to work on. Then then 
your technical details are your business. Yeah. yeah but like, but always keep this in mind that the, the business is what you're trying to build up. Uh, those are actually all points I had and which came to my mind, actually. Do you have other things like uh, hints for like people introducing OKRs or stuff you saw going totally wrong? Um, I think I already mentioned the main main points that I want to make. And um, I think the most important thing is that you understand what you're doing and why you're doing this. And if you're not open-minded to what you're trying to achieve, then it's the wrong way of doing. Uh, you, you can't force someone to use a tool and then expect them to love it yeah and that's uh, we, we can directly go to like the the bullet points of this episode uh, on on and the things that we uh, want to give everyone to keep in mind and my first bullet point is actually to understand before you're doing this yeah? and in this particular case this was also well, maybe this is something that i still want, want to give out um, if you say let's let's learn by doing yeah learning by doing This can be harmful, yeah, because ch changing your way of working with OKRs can be disruptive to your regular way of working. And if you don't understand why you're doing these things that you're doing and you're not open-minded, you might start hating it before you understand. And so I think with OKR, actually understanding this this pyramid structure of of uh, of going to to a certain place and understanding the value of of this common north star is essential to open your mind for the value that you're creating and uh, for, for asking these questions. And all these questions of, are we still aligned and why are we doing this? Those are not out of spite or not out of, of, uh, of uh, making someone angry, but they are actually for your shared benefit. So the bullet point uh, that I try to do with a lot of words here is um, understand it before you do it. The second bullet point um, I would say is uh, most of the time you don't need OKRs. If you don't have the problem of that you uh, don't have alignment, if you don't misalignment, or if you can't uh, measure progress, so if you if you already are aligned enough, if you can measure progress, don't introduce OKRs just for the sake of it. So I have seen companies uh, where the management gives out great mission statements, product uh, managers do a great work, uh, and so on. They didn't have any problems with alignment. In this point, don't introduce OKRs. Nice. My third point is uh, rhythm. Yeah, and this is something that, uh, again, reminds me on uh, Scrum or Agile. Um, you learn to work in this rhythm. And you said this before, check in maybe once per week or once every two weeks on where you are, why, uh, if you're still on track. Because this trains your mind to think in these iterations, to think about um, with every day, with every step you, that you are doing, you're working towards a, a certain goal. So creating this rhythm helps you getting into this this mood into the structure um, of this management tool and this is not particular only for okrs as i said it's for basically all the agile frameworks as well learn to work in these rhythms it iterations yeah in agile we, we call them iterations right <laughs> yeah so and my first point would be don't be too technical your goals and especially your key results should come from the business so think about like business metrics Uh, as like your key results and don't take anything engineering related like test coverage, uh, except if this is your business goal for whatever reason. So always think about your business goals and key results should come from that. Yeah. And I have a bonus point, uh, which is stay agile. Yeah. OKR does not um, work against agile methodology, even though you created quarterly goals, you are still working on your product. And this means always keep 
uh, reflecting, always do retrospectives if you're still on course, because uh, even these quarterly goals, they are not uh, sizzled in stone. Yeah, you are still reflecting on what to do and you are still adjusting if it's necessary. Yeah, so even even if we talk about quarterly goals, um, you are still working in an agile way towards your goals. Okay, now I also want a bonus point. My bonus point is um, less is more. So start with very, very few objectives, few key results and try to take it very slowly. Um, if you have like three key results at the beginning per team, that's more than enough. Nice. Yeah. So what are we going to talk <laughs> about next week, actually? I have no idea. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so I guess then next week we will talk about the perfect hardware for engineers. Which keyboard should you get? Which headphones? Which mouse? Which whatever, actually. So what's the, the coolest equipment for an engineer? This is, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, I was, uh, I was thinking about if this is a good topic for us, but it's actually very, very important, especially uh, in this age of working remotely. Um, the individual hardware that you have is essential for for doing uh, high high quality work, and so I, I have a lot of opinions about that. So let's talk about that. Yeah, and I can give you a short spoiler, Tarek. I hate your keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so see you again next week at the same time on the same spot stay see healthy there. bye Thanks so much for listening to the Innovation Engineer podcast. If you take any value from our content, please make sure to rate us wherever you're listening right now. All articles, products, and references we discussed in this episode will be linked in the show notes. Some of the links we provide are affiliate links that generate a small commission for us without costing you extra. Any support is highly appreciated and helps us keep this podcast alive. Visit theinnovationengineer.com to find more content about software engineering, innovation, and the hottest trends in tech today. Stay awesome.